Great to have Brother Tumanella. What a message we heard this morning. It has been with me all this afternoon. God, I, I don't care about anything else but your presence. I want to be in the presence of the Lord, and I believe we're here tonight, and that is a reality. Let's clap our hands to the Lord as Brother Tumanella comes again tonight. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, and praise the Lord, everybody. Let's just give the Lord a good hearty praise tonight while we're standing. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, how we love you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I've never been in this church when I didn't feel the freedom of worship. That's something that's irreplaceable. And what an honor to be here tonight. This great church, my dear friend, the Hughes family. It's so wonderful to us, so hospitable. Such a, You're blessed with great leadership. I know you know that. You don't need to be reminded. Maybe you need to be reminded every now and then because it's, uh, it's wonderful to have leadership you can trust and that you know has a walk with the Lord. And it's just wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Luke, the 14th chapter and verse 16. Moving right into the word of the Lord tonight. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came, showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Many things are implicated in this parable. Many. We won't be able to cover all of them tonight. But there are two conditions that we'll look at tonight. And Pastor asked the Lord just to have his way in this message. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Parables were a vehicle of communication that Jesus used to communicate with his people. A parable, as a vehicle, uses fictional characters and circumstances that represent a principle that is nonfiction. So when you read a parable in the Word of God, it doesn't mean the story that you're reading actually took place, but it means there's a tremendous implication of truth in that parable. It doesn't really matter whether it happened or not. That's not the, that's not the, that's not the issue. The issue is there is a non-fictional principle and message that that parable represents that the Lord is trying to get us to grasp. Now, this was a parable spoken by Jesus. 
And he, he spoke of a man who decided to make a beautiful expression first to his friends by preparing a great supper. Now, I'll tell you, I, being from the South and traveling around a lot, and of course, you know how it is. It's, it's, it's a wonderful gesture when somebody invites you to their house uh, at their own expense, at their own time, and prepares a wonderful meal. It's a great, it's a great thing. Uh, this guy, he took it a step farther. He rented a banquet hall. He hired servants, chefs, and they prepared a feast. And it was for no other reason just to let his friends know that he loved and appreciated them. Never did it cross his mind that he would have a problem getting people to come. And he said, I'll, I'll prepare it. I'll get it. I won't even send out invitations. I'll prepare it. I'll get it just about ready. I'll make this a perfect gesture. I'll send out servants at supper time and say, come right now, drop whatever you're doing, and you're not going to have to wait a long time. You just come and you eat, and I have, I'm not going to sell you something. I mean, I've, I've been invited to dinner before, and somebody wanted to try to sell me a timeshare to a condominium in Colorado. I couldn't buy a timeshare to a condominium in Pasadena, Texas. <laughs> Amen. Or somebody wanting to sell, want me to sell something. And, 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 but there's no ulterior motive here. Just an expression of love and concern. So everything's ready. Everything's primed. Everything is prepared. All that's missing are the guests. And so the servants take the guest list of the friends, the elite, those that are close to the master. And he begins to knock on doors. And one by one, the excuses begin to come. A litany of excuses. Three are mentioned. I've bought land. I've bought oxen. I've, I've just got married. I can't come. And they come back and they say, Master, I mean, we've gone down this guest list and there's hardly anybody here. The Bible says the master became angry. He said, forget my friends then. Go out into the dregs of society, go to the back alleyways, go to Skid Row, go to where the homeless are dwelling, and you bring them in, and we'll forget about my friends. If my friends are too busy, I know somewhere out there, there are some people that are, that are hungry and that need this. And they came back, I said, Master, we've done as you've commanded, and yet there is room. In other words, they couldn't even find people on the dark side of town that wanted to take the time to come and enjoy a good meal. And then he said, well, I'll tell you what, then forget, just forget invitations. You go out to the highways and hedges and you compel them. Because here's the, here's the principle. The principle is this house must be filled. And these preparations must not be violated and ignored. Somebody has got to consume. Somebody has got to be blessed by this. So you compel them to come in. Now, where do you start to begin to understand the power and the principles of this great story? First of all, you have to understand that there, there are two things that I want to talk to you about tonight. The first is starving. The second is hungry. Because the message here is there were many people that were starving for this, but they weren't hungry enough to go to where the food was. It, it was, they needed it, 
but they didn't want it. That's, that's the whole message that, that he's saying here. That's what it's all about. In other words, he's the master. He's prepared at his own expense a tremendous feast for us. There's the, he, he requires nothing of us but our attendance, our cooperation. Just this, this thing, we, we're saved by grace. Did you know that? Saved by grace through faith. That's not a Nazarene doctrine. That's, like, that's, a, that's an apostolic doctrine. Grace is unmerited divine assistance. Grace means you couldn't provide a redemptive plan for yourself. Somebody had to provide it for you. You didn't deserve it, and I didn't deserve it. But Jesus, the grace, his unmerited divine favor provided a sacrificial lamb and access to a power of redemption that we could not provide for ourselves. And by faith, we activate that redemptive plan when we repent of our sins, when we submit to water baptism in Jesus' name, and when we receive the power of his spirit evidenced by speaking in that great heavenly language. That, that's an apostolic doctrine. It's, it's grace. Grace. The grace of God provides redemptive plan. The problem was he couldn't find enough people who were hungry. You can't feed somebody who's not hungry. And the principle here is there was a city that was starving, but evidently they weren't hungry enough to go get the things they really needed. Let me talk to you about that for, for a while here tonight. Not very long, but just a while. Why is it that we have such a hard time, and why is there such a disconnect between the things that we need and the things that we want? There's an incredible disconnect there. I mean, there's... We're living in a time, in a day, when it seems as though people have moved away from the simplistic gospel and overcomplicated this thing we call living for God. And they've made it so complicated. And it, it's, it's like a never-ending maze of winding stairways and endless hallways. And you never, you, you just... It's like you've got to have new revelation every time you stand behind the pulpit. You've got to have something new to keep people interested. You've got to keep, you've got to have something sensational. You've got to have something that's to, to keep people's interest piqued. And, and that's because people, in many instances, no longer hunger for the things that they really need. They, they want things that they don't need. And so they seek after things that are not really a necessity in their life. And so they begin to abandon the principles that once brought them into the power of the grace of God. And, and this parable is there and it should be blinking aloud at us saying, Hey, let me tell you something. You need, we need to learn to, to have a hunger for the things of God that we as a church and that we as a nation and that we as a people need. So, so what, do, what do I need tonight? What do I need? God, I, I know what I want. I mean, there's a lot of things we want. But God has prepared things that we need, not based on a list of things that we say that we want. Someone was saying the other day, you know, I remember when I was first in the ministry, I was exposed to, we were exposed to a lot of this talk. You know, we're so tired of three songs in a sermon. 
We're so tired of coming to church in three songs and a sermon. Every service has got to be a production. Every service, it's like, it's like Ringling Brothers Circus. Something's got to happen. I mean, and, and then we got to thinking, and the other day I was talking, an old, old, long-term friend of mine said that he was talking to an elder in the church. This elder's son pastors a church of thousands of people. And he said, well, how are things going? He said, I'll tell you what. I've never been hungry in my life for three songs in a sermon. I would love to hear three, three songs in a sermon. I'd love to go back to that time when it was so simple to come to the house of God. And you didn't have to wait. I mean, there were no ulterior motives. There were none of others. All this complicated marketing of the gospel that has prostituted the purity of the gospel and that has made the house of God nothing more than a den of thieves. That people where, where churches are more concerned with how much money came in that week than they are how many people got saved or how many people got healed. It's how much money came in, Doc. It's not how many people got blessed. A return to that time when people came to the house of God with basic needs and said, I know one thing. There's a reason why I'm coming to church tonight. Because I know that God is able to supply every need that I have. And I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for that. I'm, if you're hungry to be blessed of God, you're going to be blessed of God. If you're hungry for the will of God in your life, you're going to find the will of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, somebody praise him right now. He won't turn away a hungry soul. Praise God. But this parable is there to show us there's a disconnect. Just because something is free and wonderful doesn't mean people are going to want it. They're going to be too busy. They're going to be preoccupied. They're going to be pursuing other things. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. We've lost a lot that we need to get back. Get back. What, what, say, what, what are you hungry for? I'm hungry for the time when there were ethics that people would abide by. When there were principles. When this dog eat dog, everybody needs to come to my church philosophy wasn't around. When you could trust brothers and sisters of like precious faith. When there was honor and integrity and a man's word was his bond. And this sleaze factor that has entered into the church of it's my way and we'll do anything to get you to come to this church and leave here and go here and come on, come over here. Things are better here. And everything's going to be all right. You just need to get away from that church. I hunger for the time when men could be taken at their word. And when we as human beings would treat one another with dignity and respect as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You say, what are you hungry? Hung no, I'm not hungering for a church of 10,000. That's not what I'm hungering for. I'm hungering for a church where there are men and women of integrity and where there are men and women of God of integrity whose word is their bond, hallelujah, and who are not out for themselves alone but really have the best interest of the kingdom of God in their heart. I'm, I'm, hung, I'm hungering for those times when you can still feel God's conviction in the house of God. When you can still feel the power of God. I hunger for those times when I can come to church like I used to. And if there's something wrong in my life, I felt that I needed to do something about it that night. I, when I, I, I hunger for those times when people won't feel comfortable covering sin any longer. 
Hallelujah. But they'll come to God. And I'm going to tell you something. When you cry out to God in hunger, he will give you exactly what you're asking. Hallelujah. So what do you say? What are you saying, preacher? You're talking. In, no, I'm not talking in circles. I'm telling you. I, I want, I'm sick and tired of the disconnect between what we want and what we need. I want to quit craving things that are not good for me. I want to quit chasing these rainbows that are non-existent. And I want to look into the heart of the will of God and say, God, we need revival, but we need apostolic Holy Ghost revival. Hallelujah. We don't need, we don't need revival of philosophy. We don't need revival uh, of resolution conflict. We need revival of apostolic Holy Ghost power, the same kind of power that fell on the day of Pentecost. I'm hungry for that. Hungry for that. Hallelujah. Hungry for that. And I'm going to tell you something. As one generation moves away from it, the next generation suffers. Suffers. My children did not have the privilege of hearing some of the things that I heard when I was coming up. Because we moved away. And now my grandkids, I wonder what they're going to hear. I wonder what they're going to hear. I'm, I'm talking about the truth of the gospel. I'm not talking about the commandments of men. I'm not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. Don't, 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 I don't want you to paint me as one. Please don't. But I'll tell you one thing. I believe in old-fashioned gospel. I believe in the church as it's supposed to be designed. I want my grandchildren to know what it's like to see somebody dance in the Spirit. Praise God. Not with umbrellas and streamers dancing in the light with a black light shining. I'm not talking about all this interpretive dance junk. I'm talking about dancing in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. I want someone to explain to them what somebody explained to me when I was a young man. Said, so, son, let me tell you about the Spirit. The Spirit's. It's, it's, it's like a current of electricity. You see these lights on tonight? And, and, and you flip a switch and the current flows and it produces light. That, that's a controlled flow of electricity. But if you see, and, and so you, you can control the way you deal with that. But you find a naked wire hanging out of that ceiling and you reach up there and you grab a hold of that wire, you, you're not going to say, ouch, that hurts. It's going to shake you and knock you every way. You don't have any power to control it. And sometimes, not every day when you come back, sometimes you get a hold of the raw power of God and you don't have any control over the way you react and respond. And I want my babies to know how it feels to be in a service where you get a hold of the raw power of the Holy Ghost. I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Woo. Pastor, you... You know, Brother L.E. King, I, I was assistant to him. We had a church in downtown San Antonio. I was 21 years old. My wife was 18. It's like 100 years ago. And I'm going to tell you something. That old church down there, 
I lived on that property. I, I, I was scared to death for 13 months living on that property. It was in a bad part of San Antonio, and that was the spookiest place I ever was in my life. That church was connected to this big house, and there were winding stairways and hallways I never went into. Even though I was supposed to clean some of them, I never went up there and cleaned them. I was scared to. Amen. I was in there cleaning one night, and I was so scared. And I, it was, I had some of the lights on, and there was a drunk in that church laid out between the aisles, and I stepped on him. And I took off running, and he took off running. We was both scared. Hallelujah. Amen. We had a lady come into that church. We had just a bunch of common people. We had this sophisticated realtor from San Antonio who was a beautiful woman in her 50s, and she was dressed fit to be killed. Nobody else in the church was dressed as fine as she was, and uh, she was uh, just a wonderful lady. She, I watched her in the service one night. We were, pre were in revival, and the Holy Ghost was falling. And so she came, and she got a hold of me, and Brother she said, she said, I want the Holy Ghost. I want the Holy Spirit baptism. But I don't want anybody praying with me because I'm just, I don't feel comfortable. And these contortions and these things. And so we said, well, just there's a prayer room right there. Someone will go with you. Well, she didn't wait for someone to come with her. And she walked in that prayer room, but that wasn't private enough. She wandered back up one of those stairways. I didn't know where she was. I thought she got mad and went home. Service was booming. People were getting the Holy Ghost. About 30, 45 minutes later in the altar service, we hear this scream. And we hear this tumbling. She comes running down those stairs. And she is dancing and speaking in tongues. And she's gotten one of those rooms that I didn't clean. And she had spider cobwebs all over her. Her makeup was smeared. Her dress was dirty. It had been a whole lot easier for her to stay right there and get the Holy Ghost. Because she didn't care. Once she got a hold of the power of the Holy Ghost, she didn't care about her makeup. She didn't care about her mascara. She didn't care about her dress. She didn't care about her designer shoes. She got the Holy Ghost that night and was baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, I don't want to lose that. I hunger for those days when God proves to us that he's the one still in charge. Amen. Praise God. Too much human manipulation of God's spirit. Some don't mind. These guys, these prophets that we've got, it's, it's, it comes out of my spout. If it don't come out of my spout, then it's not really power. And what they're telling you is they make it sound so hard that nobody else can do it. They, they, want, they want to make you believe that only a select few have access. That's, that's a definition of the occult. There's occultism in Pentecostalism. If you, want to, if, you want to draw, if you want to draw an analogy, some of these guys that are so intelligent, they're, they're, they're missing the boat here. An occult is simply a word that means hidden. And that means that normal perception is hidden from normal reality. So you have to be abnormal. You have to get into this elevated state of consciousness, and then only a few can get there. And so these mystical guys, and that won't, they don't mind the glory coming as long as it's coming through their fingers and through their hands and through their ministry, because it's adding a lot of money to their bank accounts. But let me tell you something. That's not the way God meets out his power. I'm telling you right now, you may never have been in a Pentecostal church in your life. You don't need a prophet praying over you. All you need to do is just to come and stand in his presence, like I said this morning. That's what I'm hungry for. I'm hungry to see some people get the Holy Ghost just falling on them. Hallelujah. I don't need that. We don't need to do a dance around them. We don't need to do a six-month study with them. Just let the Holy Ghost fall on them like it fell on the day of Pentecost. That's what we're starving for. I hope we're hungry for it. The church is starving for it. 
But if there's a disconnect in so many areas, a disconnect between what they really need and what they really want. And then when that disconnect becomes so amplified, it creates so many problems that you have a church that begins to seek after things that are harmful to them and they're not needed. And they, they're only satisfied when those things happen. I'm hungry for a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. We, we are starving to death for it. Starving to death for it. Starving to death for a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost that is brought back on by the simplistic living for God. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We don't need flyers and we don't need runners. We need walkers. We need people that learn to walk with the Lord just consistently day in and day out. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm going to be here, Pastor. You can count on me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I pastored for 25 years, and about 20 of those years, I pastored a full-time adult daycare center. That's what it was. I, I operated a full-time adult daycare center. Never could get them right. Always want me to wipe their nose. Always want me to change their diaper. Always want me to clean up their messes. And, you know, and by the time you do that, you don't have, a, you don't have time to really think about what you want or what you need. There were, there were times, and I loved the people, I still love them. But I'm going to tell you something right now. There were times when I drove back across that bridge in Memphis, Tennessee, and my stomach welled up in the knot. I said, oh, my God, I'm going back home. I wonder what's waiting on me. I'd drive by the freeway. There'd be a hitchhiker out there with a sign that says anywhere. And I'd say, God, I envy that man right there. I envy him. I would gladly change places with him. That's not the way church is supposed to be. But that's when people lose sight of what they really need. They don't need to be wet nursed by a preacher. They don't need to be babied and pampered. What they need is to be in a consistent flow of a sovereign move of God. And when you get in that, that's, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry to be. I'm hungry to see God do something in my life. I'm hungry to see God do something in my family's life. I'm hungry to see God do something in my church. We're starving to death for it. Instead of being hungry for, am I getting my recognition or? How come I'm not singing lead in the choir? Or how come I'm not on the board? Or how come I'm not? No, no, no. That's the old, the old battles you fight. And people lose sight and lose focus. And they get their ego involved in the promotion of self. John the Baptist says, I've got to decrease. He's got to increase. I'm hungry for that humility to come back into the church. Where people actually do what's best for the kingdom of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm telling you, it's coming. You better get ready for it. It's coming because there are men and women and young couples that are going to meet the challenge. And they're not going to be satisfied with the status quo. They're going to make the connect between what they need, what they're starving for, and what they really are hungry for. Hallelujah. Praise God. And when they do, you better watch out. That's when there's going to be a powerful revival that's going to shake this church and shake this city and shake this nation. Because I know one thing. God has a feast prepared. Come on. Somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him right now. Let me tell you something. You know what I hunger for? And I tried to raise my kids this way. 
I was raised, my mother's 91. My dad passed away at 81. The greatest man I was ever around. I've been to funerals before when I had to actually go up to the casket to make sure I was at the right funeral because I knew that was a scoundrel lying there. And they, My dad was the greatest man I ever knew. Nobody knew him that much. There was no headlines the day he died. But I can tell you, right before the service started, there were two Hispanic men in their, in their early 70s that stood over my dad's casket, and they were weeping so much that when I walked up, their tears were staining dad's lapel in the suit. I didn't care. I thought it was a beautiful gesture. And they apologized. I said, don't apologize. I just want to meet you. And briefly they told me, said, 35 years ago, we came and asked for a job. We had children. We had nowhere to live. We had no food. We had nothing. And, and your dad was not allowed to hire us, even though he was the one hiring because we couldn't speak English. But he went ahead and he put his own job on the line. And he met with us. And he taught us English after hours. He said, and that man lying there today, we have eight children that all have college degrees because that man, your dad, took time out of his life to teach us how to speak English. That's why we're here at this funeral. It was the best thing. My, so many accolades were given to my dad. That's the best thing that was said the whole day. That's the kind of man, and that's, that's the kind of man my dad was and my mother equally as great. I never sat down at the table and heard my mom and dad tear somebody down in the church. I never heard my mother say a word about a preacher or my dad. Never. Talking about a church problem. Talking about this, or we ought to go here, or we ought to go there. I was appalled. When I got in the ministry and I found out the truth about what this thing's all about. That's not the way that it is. I, I'm hungering for a day when we can get back to the supper table of the Charles and the Cleo Tuminellos. Where you talk about the good things of God. You talk about anything, but you don't chew up people. You don't talk. You don't stab people in the back. You don't, for your own convenience and for your own gain, step on other people. That's, the church is full of it. Full of it. Politicism, egotism. How long for the day when a sovereign move of God will bring us back to an appreciation and a love one for another and that will give us patience in dealing with one another and will restore integrity and human dignity to us. Oh, you talk about hunger. You talk about a need. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Hallelujah. I, I long for the day when people say, Pastor, I'm with you to the bitter end. We're going we're to see this thing through. It's going to be all right. And not take flight the first time some little wind hits you in the face. Oh, let me tell you something. Oh, my God. I, I'm hungry for those times when commitment is true commitment to the kingdom of God, to the power of God to the presence of God, to the church of God, to the leadership of God. Oh, I hunger for those times. You say, you say well, I'm not hungry. Well, I don't care. You may not even be hungry for it, but you need it. You're starving to death for it. The church is starving to death for it. Starving to death for it. It's incredible 
the depth of cruelty that people can show one to another and the lack of sensitivity that we fail to realize that we are connected as members of the body of Christ and that God will not bring guests into a messy house. He wants us to get back to the purity and the honor and the integrity of what this gospel. Let me tell you something. This gospel just don't make you shout. Don't make you feel good. It makes you live right. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? Just come on in here and get the man. You'll feel something you never felt before. That's true. But when it gets through with you. You won't need to be delivered from cigarettes. You won't need to be delivered from alcohol. I'm going to tell you something. I don't understand some of these things. Boy, the power of the Holy Ghost, it delivered me from some things and I never went back. Praise God. I long for the day when we unleash and untie the hands of God hungry. Hungry. And let me tell you something. I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to know this. The, the dinner is prepared. It's ready. And I hear the Lord saying in the last days, come for all things are now ready. Now things are ready. This supper I have prepared for the Latter-day Church must be consumed. It must be eaten. Praise God. Hallelujah. It must be. A return to the simpler things of God. A return to the day when the power was unleashed and people were unafraid to come and fall at an altar and say, God, I need you tonight. I have been challenged by the moving of God's spirit in this church today to come and to seek your face. Hallelujah. And to be touched and cleansed by the moving of God's spirit. Hallelujah. I long for the day when bitterness won't be able to stand in the presence of God. It'd be so pure and so powerful in the church. When feelings of resentment and jealousy and competition and things that try to tear the church apart will be resolved in just the flow of one service. I'm hungry for that kind of move of God. Sovereign move of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. A return where I can reach across the aisle and say, we don't have to agree on everything, but I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Take me by the hand. Let's build this church. Let's grow this church. Let's love one another. Praise God. Hallelujah. Not the pressure. Not the pressure to run 10,000. The pressure just to let God do what he wants to do. Hallelujah. When is the last time we prayed this prayer? Not my will, but thine be done. I stopped. God blessed me this week in so many ways. And at the end of it, you know what I did? I stopped and said, God, I've been telling you what to do all week. And still you've blessed me. But I got to say, God, I was wrong. It's not what I want. It's what you want. Because you know, you know so much more than I know. You know what's around the bend. You know what I need. And you know what I don't need. I wonder, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed tonight, if somebody could just come and say, God, I need you, and I'm hungry for you, Lord. And I don't want to leave here tonight till I just let you know that I need you. And that from this day forward, I'm going to hunger after the things.
that you want for me. I want to remove this disconnect between what I want and what I need. I want that which I need to become that which I want. I want to see, I don't want, I don't want you to fashion the will of God to meet my demands and my dreams. I want you to let the will of God be my dream and let me seek after the will of God and hunger and thirst after righteousness. They are the ones that are going to be filled. Hallelujah. Oh, there is a purity and a beauty in this church that I love so much. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on and find a place to seek him tonight.